makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. It's good for all of us to be here. You're listening to First Voices Radio and Teokasin Ghost Horse, sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus, in the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. You can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices IndigenousRadio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. When nearly 500 years after papal decrees were used to rationalize Europe's colonial conquests, the Vatican repudiated those decrees on March 30th, 2023. The doctrine is invoked as a legal and religious standing by Occidental Europe who discovered new lands and violently seized them from people living there for generations. As a result, it has been cited in different arenas for centuries, including by the U.S. Supreme Court as early as 1823 and recently as 2005. While the statement repudiates the original papal bulls of 1493 applied to the Western Hemisphere, there is a difference in the actual use of the word and the one many original peoples are looking for, that is rescinding. We'll find more in the interview with Steve Newcomb here on First Voices Radio. And now we talk with Stephen T. Newcomb, who is a scholar, educator, author, journalist, film producer, public speaker, and workshop leader facilitator. He's internationally recognized for his more than four decades of research and writing on the origins of federal Indian law and international law dating back to the early days of Christendom, most notably focused on the religious doctrine now known in history as the doctrine of Christian discovery. Steve is the author of Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, Fulcum Publishing, 2008, and the producer of the 2015 documentary film, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed and produced by Sheldon Wolfchild. Steve's website is originalfreenations.com. We have Steve Newcomb on the line here, and... Uh, we want to talk about the repudiation or revoke the papal bulls in a, in a good way, but repudiation is versus rescinding. 
And I think you, of all people, Steve Newcomb, have a better idea of, I would say, a full-spectrum perspective of how this started, where it went, because of your studies the last 30, maybe 40 years of the doctrine of discovery and where it started and where it is now and what a potential it has now. At least it's being talked about in in that um, elevation, the hierarchy of the, the papal bulls in the Vatican. Talk about that and discuss uh, the context about the free and independent existence of our native of native nations and peoples. Well, thanks very much, Teokasen. I appreciate the uh, introduction and and the way you set that up. Most of the time these days, I set the context for any conversation that I have about these matters. And the way in which I do that is to talk about the original free and independent existence of our nations and peoples extending back to the beginning of time through our oral histories and traditions contrasted with the system of domination that was brought by ship across the ocean and imposed on everyone and everything. And once we have that contrast, then we have that view from the shore, which you uh, brought to my awareness and my attention many years ago, and, and that view from the ship uh, looking at our ancestors. So that view from the shore of our ancestors looking at those invading ships coming toward them and then the view from the ship, the colonizers, with their intention to establish domination where it did not yet exist. And once we've set up that context, then we have a very meaningful opportunity to enter into deep dialogue and discussion about what is this uh, whole uh, matter of, of doctrine of discovery and these concepts of in this colonizer's language that we're using right now, more than 60% of which comes from the Latin language of the Roman Empire. So that's a very important uh, factor as well. But when we look at the Vatican papal documents and the way in which Virgil Kilstrate and I began this effort way back in 1992, uh, my dear friend, our, our friend and mentor, uh, Virgil Kilstrate from the Oglala Lakota Nation, a traditional headman, a ceremonial person, someone completely dedicated to his people as an educator and just an extraordinary human being. When he and I uh, embarked on this journey back in 1992, the idea that we had was to call upon the Pope at that time, Pope John Paul II, to formally revoke the Intercetera Papal Bull of 1493. That would be May 4th, a demarcation of the planet, so to speak. Uh, since that time, I've had the opportunity to go into a deep dive into the Latin and uh, English even more than I knew at that time. And so I've had additional decades of, of opportunity to research these matters. But over time, what happened was a lot of people got involved in the effort and kind of went in their own direction. And when they did that, they began to change the language that we had initially uh, begun to work with about revoking the papal bulls. And suddenly it became about repudiating the doctrine and this kind of language. And I, as soon as I saw that, I thought, you know, this is going to be a problem in the future because that's such a low bar that all they have to do is say, oh, yeah, we, we reject that. We don't agree with that either. And then let's just move on. And what I see is that these, this recent March 30th statement by the 
two dicasteries, which are organizational structures within the Vatican government that have uh, issued a joint statement about all this, the joint statement does nothing to acknowledge the specific language of those horrific documents from, let's just go with 1452, 1455, 54, uh, well, actually there's one in 54 as well, uh, 1456, 1481, 1493, several that year. And so they were issuing the language of domination over and over and over again. And the statement doesn't come to terms with what we've been talking to them about at all. And yet they say they're entering into a, a respectful dialogue and discussion and walking side by side. I mean, they're jumping way ahead. It's like a wish list for them because they haven't even come to terms with what we're really talking about. So it, on the other hand, I, I will say in terms of the positivity that, you know, we want to at least acknowledge some some positives if we can. And th I believe that their statement very prominently places this issue, this issue on the world stage, that at long last, it's the whole world watching at this point. So, Steve, you mentioned something about, yeah, the repudiation, and I would get to repudiation and the language changing because of the low bar, which is a softer language, really, no teeth, is that it, it, sen it senses a, a sense of um, non-responsibility. The Pope is just saying, well, I'll put it over here on a sidebar, but also the, the deeper language of rescinding. What would be the difference between rescinding and repudiation? Well, the repudiation uh, says we want nothing to do with it, we reject it, we don't acknowledge it, and so forth. What The reason why we're talking about the Vatican documents specifically is that those were specific documents, directives. Uh, my friend Peter DeRico, author of the book Federal Anti-Indian Law, our dear friend, uh, it called it marching orders to the monarchs to go forth and to uh, subjugate and um, uh, dominate the original nations, or as they put it, barbarous nations. And so it's it very important that they take that back, that they overturn those, because they issued those in perpetuity. And, and, and the Latin is in perpetua, one meaning of which is eternally. And they wrote the documents on vellum parchment, which is lambskin, and the ink that they used was octopus ink because it's indelible and permanent. And so you have all the symbology of the octopus and, and the way in which that plays into the mix. We can we could go with that for a while. The highly intelligent predator uh, called uh, octopus, uh, an extraordinary uh, being of extraordinary intelligence and so forth. Um, but... In any case, they need to address that. And what they're trying to do, instead of address the specific language, which I'll quote here in a moment, they're trying to focus on a papal document from 1537 called the Papal Bull Sublimus Deus, Sublime God. And in that document, it has very favorable language saying that the people should not be enslaved and they should be respected in their rights of liberty and property and and that they should be regarded as, as human beings, as, as truly men. But the problem is that they needed that. That was self-serving as well, because they, if they wanted to be able to baptize these 
uh, barbarous peoples, as they would term it, they needed to acknowledge them as being human so they could apply their evangelical mission to them and baptize them and so forth. Regardless of all that, uh, within a very short time, that papal document was revoked. And uh, Wilkham Washburn, who was a historian for the Smithsonian Institution or Institute in Washington, D.C., he wrote a book back in the 19, early 1970s called Red Man's Land, White Man's Law. And in there, he says within 10 days, that papal document was revoked by Pope Paul III under pressure from the emperor, Charles V of Spain. Now, the other thing that is acknowledged by Lewis Hankey in an article called Pope Paul and the Indians, and uh, he says that the ecclesiastical penalties, meaning in, uh, in, uh, interdict, meaning economic embargo against violators of that language or that document, and excommunication, those penalties were removed under pressure from Charles V. So even if the whole document wasn't uh, revoked, uh, let's just say that perhaps it wasn't, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, nonetheless, those ecclesiastical penalties were totally removed because the king didn't want to be held responsible for violating those. And in 1680, uh, Dr. Luis Rivera Pagan, in his book, A Violent Evangelism, quotes from the laws of the Indies that the very first um, opening line of one of the volumes of the laws of the Indies acknowledges the papal bulls of 1493 as being foundational to Spanish crown law. And that was published in 1680. So if it was, if those, those documents were overturned in 1537, the Spanish crown would have no basis for citing them in 1680, which they did. And they acknowledged those documents as foundational. Now, uh, real quickly, just what kind of language are we talking about in those Vatican documents? Well, the papal bull from 1455 uh, also contains language from the papal bull of 15, 1452, rather, and it says, invade, go to the western coast of Africa and to other non-Christian lands, wherever they might be, and invade, capture, vanquish, and subdue all Saracens, pagans, and other enemies of Christ, reduce their persons to perpetual slavery and take away all their possessions and property. And that's the kind of domination language that was issued over and over and over again for at least a century. And uh, that was set into motion across the whole planet. So the Vatican unleashed this framework, this paradigm of domination against uh, all non-Christian peoples by means of those documents. And it wasn't just documents of the church that gave sanction and authorization from the viewpoint of the Christian world for monarchs such as uh, of Portugal and Spain to go forth and do those things. And in fact, in the papal bull to the Portuguese monarchs, there's a term used, exhort, exhort, meaning E-X-H-O-R-T, meaning to more or less command. It's, it's just maybe slightly, but it's, it's a, a real definite directive, a word of a directive, go and do this. Now, the, what's really fascinating is when we got into the specifics uh, in, in terms of the analysis of this Vatican statement, 
and they're making the claim that the papal or they say the doctrine of discovery is not part of Catholic teaching. But at the opening of the Vatican document, it says infidelity to the mandate received from Christ. Okay, that's the opening eight line, eight words or so. What is the mandate received from, from Christ? In my view, it's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, which says all it's Jesus supposedly having risen from the dead and coming to the disciples or they come to him and they interact. And he says to them, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, baptize all nations and uh, uh, make, well, he says, make disciples go therefore and make disciples of all nations and uh, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that mandate received from Christ is what is contained in the 1455 papal bull that they're saying they have to go and locate these peoples. They're in remote areas unknown to us. And we've reflected, the Pope is saying, we have reflected upon that which would be pleasing, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but pleasing to the divine majesty, meaning to God, what would be pleasing. And so go forth and locate these people and vanquish them and subject them to the temporal dominion of the monarch. That's pleasing to their God. I mean, it's really pretty crazy the way that that language is in there. But most people have never gone into that language. And I bet you even most of the Vatican officials have probably never read in close detail the Latin and the English. And I've been doing that since, you know, 1989 or so. Steve, you mentioned something about the doctrine perpetuating or forever, basically, in Octopus Inc. They signed it and signed it. You're talking about not just the Octopus Inc. in perpetuity. You're talking about the invisible ink that we're not seeing that seems to disappear conveniently with the papal and the castories, I think you call them. They seem to disappear and come up conveniently as as um, stumbling stones in order to get to the real context of rescinding this this document, Doctrine of Discovery. And I want to also find distinction among that language of, of this uh, domination, which you were, in other words, I'm saying... They don't want to be here, that conscience of guilt or whatever it could be. What I'm hearing through all of this, what they're saying is that they don't want to be here. In other words, they have a present phobic language. They're afraid of now because their power lies in the past. Well, I I think that uh, that's an important point you're mentioning there with regard to the distinction between discovery and domination. And once they once they are called to task as far as, hey, wait a minute, let's look at those documents in detail, invade, capture, vanquish, subdue, reduce to slavery, take away all their possessions and property, which even means their women and their children. So they got the boarding schools, the residential schools, the murder to missing indigenous women. You've got all the dispossession of our nations and peoples, the vast majority of all our lands, uh, not only just overrun, but poisoned and made toxic with all of their chemicals and just this massive wave of domination and dispossession and murder 
and destruction of our languages, our cultures, our spiritual traditions, they have to answer for all that. Why in the world would they want to do that? They don't want to do that. They want to conveniently say, hey, look over there. Yeah. A misdirection or a deflection or an invisibility by not quoting that language. They just kind of allude to it and they say some scholars, they don't say which scholars, they don't name those of us that have been doing this work. Some scholars connect the doctrine of discovery, which is actually the, the doctrine of domination. They don't say that, but they say this doctrine, that some scholars connect that to these various papal bulls of an earlier time, such as Doom Diversus, Romanus Pontifex, and Intercaetera, or Chetra. Mm -hmm. And so, but they don't quote any of that language. They just leave that as one sentence that's just hanging there, not connected to anything. And that's where the quotes would go. But so in that term, in those terms rather, they are, as I see it anyway, playing a bit of a linguistic uh, uh, evasion. They're, they're being evasive, you know, they're just being evasive. Let's, let's just face it, you know. It's a lie by omission. If they are commanded to basically, the, the papal bull started back in the mid to early 1400s, they came forward out of that inquisition, which was ongoing. But the papal bulls, as they went from various new discoveries of African lands and other lands, that each papal bull continued in relationship, morphed into the other one across continents, non-verbally or verbally. And, and so now it came to the eight, uh, 1493. But in that discovery, like you would mention, that they had to find reason to discover. And once they discovered it, then they called it property. This is a very important point you're raising because, first of all, what does discovery mean? It means new knowledge, new knowledge from their point of view. Okay, so what is the new knowledge of? It's of lands that don't have domination established there yet. See, because that's the intention. The intention is to establish domination where it does not yet exist. So the, the papal bull, one of them says, lands discovered and to be discovered, que sub actuali dominio temporali alicorum dominorum Christianorum constitute non assent, which means lands where domination has not been established by any Christian dominators, dominorum Christianorum. So whenever they're going and they locate those new lands, they don't want to say all all this kind of information. They just talk about discovery. That's the shorthand way of discussing it. But behind the scenes and the and the part of the invisibility, the 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 um, the dimension of invisibility in the background, the operating system in the background, that's out of focus. So once they say discovery. Nobody knows that that's connected to all this domination language unless you're able to point it out to them, okay? And so the, um, I think that that's such a crucial point because when, as long as, I, I realize this at a certain point, when people are only focused on discovery, I even said in my book, well, you can't discover a place that's already... Well, you can discover it. You can actually have new knowledge of it that you didn't have before. So that's not necessarily the strongest argument. But the real truth of the matter is they were wanting to establish domination where it did not yet exist. And that's what has happened. So that claim of a right of domination, that's what we're really addressing. 
That's what we're really addressing. And we're and I'm saying now, how is it and why is it that the claim of a right of domination has been made into the organizing principle of the entire planet and has caused so much ruination and suffering and misery and torment for so many people? And how do we stop that? How do we how do we bring that to an end? So that it, so that our traditional knowledge system, something along those lines, doesn't have to be exactly matching that, but at least the general principle, a way of life that's beneficial for one another and all living things, that should be the organizing principle of the planet. But how do we bring that about when all these economic systems are in place and that's all based on property? So then the idea of property that's the shorthand for domination because the word property is defined in one legal textbook as the first establishment of socially approved, or will approved by whom? By them, of physical domination over some part of the natural world. And when I asked one of the authors of that textbook, Professor Lance Liebman at Columbia University, what was the basis for that sentence? He said, William Blackstone's commentaries on the common law. Which, when you go to that part of the common law, it says property is the idea of the sole despotic dominion over external things of the world. And where does he get that from? Genesis 128 in the Bible. Subdue and dominate all living things. So that's the whole operating system, uh, which is their domination system. Functioning and making money for the people that know how to use that system. Mm. So that's what's been going on, and it will continue to go go on go along uh, unchallenged or unquestioned until we can name it properly and begin to identify it for what it really truly is. And then we have our traditional knowledge and wisdom systems that were evolved over thousands and thousands of years that are not premised upon that. Right. They're premised upon the idea of benefit being of benefit to one another and all living things. If I say the word in our Lenape language, which is our word for our ancestors, for our loved ones that have departed and gone on their journey, people are hearing a sound that's at least 13,000 years old. Yeah. Because that's how just the archaeological record, uh, we'll just use that as a point of reference for the moment. They say, okay, our people are, have been connected to our traditional homeland for at least that long. So probably much longer than that, but at a minimum, 13,000 years. So how much knowledge and wisdom was accumulated and structured into all of our languages over such an incredible period of time, tens of thousands of years, and they just came in with a wrecking ball and just worked to destroy all of our language systems through linguicide, the intentional killing or murder of a language, Hmm. through the residential schools, the boarding schools, the torment, and, and suffering uh, of, of little children under abuse. Mm. And all those things that they have done to our nations and peoples, but yet we are the ones that are working to heal from all that and not come from a place of viciousness and retaliation, mm. but a place of, of spiritual groundedness, have a spiritual centering so that we can still maintain and uphold our spiritual values. Yes, it's so good to hear that. It is our ways, and it's not a religion, as people would say it is. It's not animism. So many Native people have been colonized through Christianity, through economics, through anything, military, even food, um, to really decodify our language, to put it in a nice 
package for them to understand that, look, there's something wrong here. But then again, you you think about these people who are the Holy See, the, the Vatican, whatnot, even the government saying, oh, we're on your side, you indigenous peoples. We understand you. We feel you. Here's some Here's a written document that says hey, we strongly support your viewpoint. But then you and I have experience at the UN with the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And lately I've been thinking in the context of the speaking, if you take it away from how could we have rights as Indigenous Peoples, because that's very Western. But if you have Declaration of Responsibilities of Indigenous Peoples, it's much different than a document giving us rights to everything the gist of it, but the implementation says that, unfortunately, it's only a piece of paper and the system to domination explains it. Even in that, you say it doesn't even contain anything about the respect that's identifying, as you say, the language and the culture. Well, if, if it's talking about rights of indigenous peoples, where's the provision in there that says we have the right to live free and independent of their domination system? or to be liberated from their domination system. That's not even addressed. And in fact, it's created by member states. And what are states? States, according to Max Weber, a state is a relation of men dominating men. If the state is to exist, the dominated must submit themselves to the authority claimed by the powers that be. So it was a member states that created this thing called UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, but if you look at the, the fine detail of that definition of indigenous peoples, it means peoples existing under domination. And so it talks about the pre-invasion, the pre-colonial existence. Well, that's our original free and independent existence. But they don't say free and independent because that would be, ooh, that's, that's a little too challenging to them. So they talk only in terms of their pre-colonial and that which preceded the colonial, that which preceded the invasion. But that's acknowledging that there was an invasion and that there is a colonial system that's ongoing. So we have to get much more deep. We have to go much more deeply into the English language and the nuance and the subtlety and the detail and the context and the purpose behind all these kinds of things, which is very time consuming. Yeah. It's very difficult. Not everybody is uh, into that kind of thing. They're, they're, they don't have the patience for it. So that this is the task that we continue to face. And we, you know, we're not getting any younger, yeah. you and I, but we, we want to make sure we pass this ability to do, make these investigations and to delve into these things, make that available to the younger generation so that they can carry on this work. People like my daughter, Shauna Blue Star and Joe Day Gowdy and others, uh, you can cut that out. She doesn't want me mentioning her age. <laughs> but the younger... <laughs> but the younger generation to carry work, you know. And we're interviewing Stephen Newcomb about the declaration made on March 30th, 2023 by the Vatican, repudiating the doctrine of discovery of 1493. We'll be back after this interlude. You're listening to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasin Ghost Horse.
And now returning to the second part of the interview with Stephen Newcomb. And we're discussing the repudiation statement by the Vatican on March 30th, 2023, and the nuances of the invisible ink within the Doctrine of Discovery and the statement released. Stay with us. You describe a whole peoples on the influence of, of a Messiah, of a savior mentality, looking for a hero, so to speak. How do we, you mentioned we got to wake up or dig deeper, but there's a phrase that our friend Elton Krenak of, the, of Brazil, he's an in, indigenous person there, he, he has this phrase called, we're all in a deep colonial coma. Mm. In that coma is, you know, we, we don't want to go deeper because we're asleep, we don't know how. So it's going to take piercing words to, to actually come forward and, and bring that reemergence. And that's what I'm feeling, that, that it's the earth consciousness and, and all of us, even with language, most people will say words don't matter. But how do we present weapons? How do we present anything? Because the energy of words, as you know in your work, is we don't understand the word domination because they soften it by always say dominion. We're given responsibility, stewardship, to make sure a tree grows, but yet the said in ownership. Yeah. Yeah. 
the, part of the part of the interesting work is to take words in this language that we're speaking right now and to break them apart in unique ways that shock people out of that coma. So if I say America and and just use that word as a typical way of using it, there's no awakening that happens. But if I divide it in two and point out that it's actually two words, ame, love, and rika, riches and wealth, that the, the riches, the love of riches and wealth is embedded in that word America, which is a word for greed. I mean, that's just describing greed with the love of riches and wealth, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a whole new way of looking at that word. Take the word government. Yeah. Go over men. Yeah, yeah. Go over, it's the state or condition of going over men because M-E-N-T is also a state or condition of. So you can, you can break these words apart and suddenly what's embedded within them pops out in a way that, oh, wow, I never even thought of that. So that's part of the awakening process is, is being able to delve more deeply. But not just that, we also have to have our own uh, languages come forward to make people aware of things that they're unaware of. So if, for example, the, one of the most amazing revelations for me was hearing an elder mention that the sound law in Lakota or Wopila or Pilamia or Tungashila, that is a term of deep affection. Mm -hmm. And so the, the deep affection for life is built into the language. Yes. That's, that's a whole new, new kind of insight. Wow. That's extraordinary. Then in Kumiai, they say Hauka, which translates, may the fire within you burn bright, which is acknowledging the life force of that person, wanting positive uh, positivity for the life force of that person, and acknowledging by extension that there's life force in everything. And we should be working beneficially with that life force for one another and for all living things. So thus, mitakwiasan, uh, right? Uh, all our relations or all my relations, however that translates. And those things are built into the language. Uh, Gordy Walker, a wonderful healer from Manitoba, traditional mm -hmm. healer. The, the, he points out that the word in their Cree language for fire translates to the warmth of a woman's heart. Yes. Wow. I mean, oh. there are so many ways in which the, the people have been deprived of all this amazing knowledge and wisdom in our languages. Yes. And so when we bring that forward as the contrast to the domination system, now we have something that will help to awaken people even further from that coma. This has been very revealing as usual, Steve, and I you know, thank you for that. And if they really were looking at their language, they would see quantum physics encoded. And you were just describing quantum physics encoded in indigenous languages. And I think there's that difference. That's another wake-up call for me. Amazing book called Physics as Metaphor by Rob Jones, okay? And, and he points out that all these terms, space, time, matter, and number, are metaphors. Yeah. Well, if they're metaphors, then they're products of the human imagination mm -hmm. and human consciousness. So he defines metaphor as the... Uh, as the um, Oh, cripes, I just blanked on that. The, and he defines metaphor as an act of consciousness that borders on the very creation of things. So when people take a word like San Diego, the, the colonizers come and they take the Kumeyaay Nation territory and they overlay the territory with this term San Diego, 
and then in the minds of the people, the colonial society, that becomes their reality. Try removing that overlay from the land. They can't do it. They can't think of the land without that name. Yeah. And so the naming is claiming. And right, and the claiming is accomplished through the naming process. But that's true of all of it. It's all based. Yeah. And and their metaphors, they, this notion of objectivity is just silly. It's like saying, well, we're not involved in the projection of heathen, pagan, infidel, and unbaptized people. That has nothing to do with us. We're just observing that in nature. Well, give me a break. I mean, <laughs> all of that is the product of their own storytelling, yeah. and they're unaware of that fact. It's just ri ridiculous. So we have to, I think, really inform them of things they're unaware of because they don't have that view from the shore. Yeah. They just don't, and they can't. So they're in, they're in a handicap, but that's tough for people that are superior in their own minds to be in a handicap because it, it means they have an identity crisis. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's like, who am I? Where am I going in this basket? Yeah, so, exactly. And so one thing that came out of that that meeting that, that we had just two weeks ago, um, okay. they, they quoted this. that They said, Theoxen's thinking is, is astounding and outstanding. Unfortunately, science is not ready to accept this. <laughs> according, they according, according, according to quantum theory, a particle can be both a wave and a particle at the same time. And since matter is like a wave function, there is no space or time, only an oscillation pattern. And then when you describe Lakota, and as Virgil said, it's an affection. And so yeah. Lakota is an affection for the knowledge that comes from the stars back and forth. So it's an oscillation back and forth. And yeah. so they're they're into the what they call entanglement now out of quantum yeah. string theory. So yeah. that's what we're describing when we say mitako yoyasi, the words you said in in yeah. So that's where these this kind of work is is just emerging. It's it's there. It's it's always been there, but it needs to reemerge with coming out of the coma that I described. Yeah, wonderful. Well, great. thank you very much for the uh, opportunity to be with you. And it's always a treat and a pleasure. And uh, I value our friendship very much to Okusen. So, all right, man. Oh, thank you. Okay. Uh huh. Dokshad. Okay. Steve is the author of Pagans in the Promised Land Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, Fulcum Publishing 2008, and the producer of the 2015 documentary film, The Doctrine of Discovery Unmasking the Domination Code. Directed and produced by Sheldon Wolfchild. Steve's website is originalfreenations.com.
He was a warrior in every way, and he was always listening. A dedication to people's displaced, and he was always listening. If a little birdie flew into his space, he was always listening. The spirit of the ancient ways he was always receiving. He said, Come with me, people, stand up with me, people, as one and as equals. Let's honor all people. Come with me, people, stand up with me, people, as one and as equals. Let's honor all people, all people. Honor all people. Listening, dedication to people's displaced, and she was always listening. And if a lion moved through her space, she was always listening. And with the spirit of the ancient ways, she was always receiving. She said, Come with me. Stand up with me, people, as one and as equals. Let's honor all people. Come with me, people. Stand up with me, people, as one and as equals. Let's honor all people. Come with me, people. Stand up with me, people, as one and as equals. Let's honor all people. Come with me, people. Stand up with me, people, as one and as equals. Let's honor all people.
Fade out with Xavier Rudd in the United Nations with Warrior. Before that was Fallen Angel by Robbie Robertson. In the Blood also by Robbie Robertson. And I just want to clear the clear the air here with these two words you heard: repudiate and rescind. Quickly, I'm going to say that repudiate only means to refuse or accept or be associated with, and to rescind is to evoke, cancel, or repeal. So even though people say it's a step in the right direction, it also means back to the drawing board mentality. Um, just something to think about, support the efforts to revitalize indigenous languages and respect indigenous spirituality that we continue to experience the ships still coming. This is Tilkasan Ghost Tours, First Voices Radio. Thank you for joining us here. Doksha Ake Wachinktelo.